We've enjoyed Christmas music and uh, the drama and the decorations. They look great as well. So appreciative to those who help make this time of the year so special for us as a church family. I do want to take just a moment and uh, wish Russ Ewing a happy birthday. Today is his birthday. And uh, we're so grateful. Yeah. So grateful for his ministry among us and to us. Happy birthday, brother. We appreciate you. Uh, the first service actually sang to him. But uh, are you okay with just a hand clap this time? Is that okay? Yeah, he says it's okay. All right. Because I'm standing behind a microphone. Everybody starts singing. I get nervous. So, Well, um, I don't know if anybody else has started receiving Christmas cards yet. But uh, we received, I think, our first one in the mail on Monday. And uh, I just went to the mailbox like I do most days and pulled open a uh, Christmas card. And I thought, you know, it, it's still November, at least on Monday it was. And I, I, I thought that was that was early. It might have been the first one that we got. And I looked at it. It's one of these picture cards, you know, with the magnets, friends of ours from Kansas City that you put up on the refrigerator. And and uh, as I was looking at it, I, you know, I had kind of mixed emotions. You know, on one hand, I was I was really glad to, to, to see them. But on the other hand, it kind of reminded me that I've still got one more thing that I haven't gotten done yet, right? We haven't started on Christmas cards. Have, have you all? Have you got, probably a lot of you got yours done already. Well, we haven't. And so as I was looking at it, I'm looking at them. I'm glad to see them, but I'm also thinking, okay, that's one more thing that I just realized that I've got to try to squeeze in to the, the, the rest of a, of a busy schedule. In fact, as I, as I looked at the card, you know, it, it, it brought about those emotions. And I, I kind of thought maybe they were looking at me and smiling and saying, so... You haven't got your card done yet, have you? <laughs> so uh, I felt like it was kind of a kiss on the cheek and a poke in the eye, you know, right at the same time, you know, because all of a sudden I've got I got one more thing on my list. But I thought, you know, if they're going to start sending them out early, I'll, I'll do that next year and maybe like the day after day after Halloween or something, you know, I'll, I'll slip one in the mail and see if I can if I can get to them uh, first this year, next year. Well, it is a busy season. And uh, Christmas cards, uh, Christmas decorations, getting the lights untangled, trying to figure out how things fit together, uh, getting the tree ready. Uh, you've got Christmas programs. You probably have some with the school and with the church and Christmas parties. And you've got, of course, the uh, uh, the Christmas presents, which, you know, we haven't even really talked about. Some of you probably are done with that, too, I'm guessing. Anybody done with their Christmas shopping? Okay. In the first service, there were quite a few that did. They raised their hands and, and uh, people just kind of looked at them funny. But uh, anyway, uh, it is that time of year. And if we're not careful, we can get so caught up with the busyness of the season that it can just kind of go by as a blur. And so this year we've decided that we wanted to go back and look at some of the stories surrounding the birth narrative and, and do what we could to try to feel uh, what it was like for them. And so last week, of course, you heard from from uh, from Elizabeth in a drama, and we we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this morning, you got to hear a little perspective from a, a, a drama depicting Mary. We're going to be looking at a little bit about Joseph and Mary's uh, story this morning. And I know these are familiar stories; they're familiar passages. We could probably stand up and recount them uh, fairly accurately. But as we go through them, I hope that God will just bring certain things to the forefront. They might get our attention and say, okay, there's something for this Christmas season that I can, that I can hang on to. And it can, it can, it can help me as I move through day after day through, through this season that, that there will be joy and that there will be worship that will accompany all the festivity, which these are great things. And we're glad that it's a, a festive time. We're glad that there's a lot of activity. But I hope that as we go through this, 
that even today there can be something from Mary's life that we're able to, to, uh, to, to hold on to, and maybe it will stimulate for us a, uh, a thought of worship as well. So I invite your attention to Luke chapter 1. And uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we were in the first chapter of Luke last week as well. Uh, in fact, we were looking at the, uh, the, uh, the angel Gabriel uh, foretelling the birth of John the Baptist. And as we looked at Elizabeth, who would be the mother, of course, and Zechariah and the way that he responded right in the first chapter, you have the foretelling of John the Baptist and then you have the foretelling of Jesus coming. And then you have the birth of John the Baptist. And then right as you get into the second chapter, you have the birth of Jesus. And so you have you have this interplay that's going back and forth. And so last week we looked and saw how Zechariah, the priest, responded to the idea that the Messiah was coming. And we saw how he was even silent for a good part of that time. And then he was able to speak again after the birth of John the Baptist. Well, here we have, we have uh, Mary being encountered by the angel uh, Gabriel as well. And we'll also look in a few minutes how Joseph was also encountered by the angel. But let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And just to set the context, let's pick up in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph on the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Can you imagine being in her shoes, right? Having a, an angel come and, and approach you. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Mary has a question. How can this be? And they go back and forth and talk a little more. And then before we know it, we see in verse 39 that Mary visits Elizabeth because they're cousins. And so both of them expecting now, both of them having a, a very crucial role in the coming of the Messiah. And as they're there uh, and talking, uh, Elizabeth tells Mary that she's blessed. Verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so in this exchange, we have Mary then responding in what is called the Magnificat, the first few words in Latin of what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's the Magnificat. So let's let's look at it in its entirety. So we're not yet at the birth of Jesus. They're preparing for it. But listen to how Mary is already struck by what she has experienced, both with the angel coming and telling her what's happening, as well as the time that she spent with Elizabeth and understanding that the role of the, the forerunner that was coming. And now we have her responding. And this is what she says, picking up in the middle of verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So this was, this was her response. What can we today glean from her words of praise? Because this was really a song unto the Lord. And there, it, it's connecting back into old, the Old Testament prophecies, back to Abraham. And here she is recognizing the, the magnitude of what is happening, not just in her life, but the fulfillment of these prophecies that will be impacting as she uh, saying, and as she said, generation to generation. This is going to make a difference. So the key here is to see that she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's the idea of, uh, of making great the Lord. Maybe what, what your version says. Or my soul enlarges the Lord. You say, well, how, how can you enlarge the Lord? How can you do that? Well, it's the idea that, that her thoughts, her knowledge of the Lord had increased. And out of that increase came increased praise. And so I hope today that there can be some pieces of information that strike us to the point where it would increase our worship of Christ this Christmas season. May there be something that God brings to the forefront of our minds that would, that would give us further reason to exalt His name this Christmas season. That's the main point of what we're going to be trying to do as we look at the Magnificat today. You know what it's like when you get information that, that, that stirs your heart. Information that gives you a, a greater consideration of who Christ is. Maybe if you were to, to look over to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to talk about the Word being there in the beginning, all things being made through Him. And you think, wow, what a, what a great perspective of Jesus. A, a fuller picture of the One who came. John's gospel starts off very different than Matthew and Luke, doesn't it? Well, it's those kinds of things that, that give us a, a, a larger perspective, an enlarged understanding of who Christ is. And from that, it prompts us in our worship. In fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus said that we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so the truth of God's Word impacts us. It gives us a, a fuller perspective of who God is and what He has done through Christ. And through that, it prompts us in our worship. And so in Mary, we see someone who was moved to worship based upon what she was learning and seeing take place in her life and in the, and, 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 and really, in reality, the, 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 uh, the world. And so may today be one of those times where we see things that help us also, uh, to worship the Lord. This idea of the Magnificat, again, the, the first few words, my soul magnifies the Lord or my soul celebrates the Lord. Uh, this, this word magnify or exalt comes from the Greek 
And uh, it's megaluna. And uh, when, you, when you look at that, you, you probably recognize that prefix mega, you know, meaning great or large or big. And sometimes we use that in some of the English words as well. Uh, it's still used in, in, in modern Greek. There's, there's sayings that use the word mega or megalos, and it's talking about something that's big. And then, and then when, we, when we talk about something like a megaphone, what are we we're talking about? We're saying we, we have a device that is making the voice expand, right, to make it louder. Well, that's what, that's what was happening in Mary. Her exaltation was getting, was getting fuller. It was getting richer. It was getting deeper because of what she was understanding, uh, that was taking place there in her life. So let's, let's look to see this morning. I'm only going to focus on the very beginning of the Magnificat, but let's pull out some reasons that we also can magnify the Lord this Christmas season. We saw some last week from Zechariah. Zechariah had some reasons to praise. And there's some similarities with what, with what Mary says. But there's also some unique points of emphasis that come through in her words. And so let's look at those together. We see first of all that she talks about her redemption. She's going to refer to the fact that, that God is her Savior. And so she understands that she has redemption from God. It says in uh, at the beginning of verse 48, He has looked on... The humble estate, the humble estate of his servant. And so we see that there in, uh, uh, in, in, in the beginning of verse 48. And so it, it reminds us that, that people, when they come to Christ, come with humility. We come understanding that we have a need. That, that we don't come to him saying, my hands are full, my life is full, all that I need is done, receive me unto heaven. That's not, that's not the perspective. The perspective is I come with empty hands and I come with great need. And I have, I have a need that only you can meet and only you can fill. And so, so Mary understood the humble state. And so, yes, maybe some of this was, was uh, humility that you might see in the sense that, that she was not... Uh, uh, one that was uh, of, of, of noble birth or she was not of one in a, that, that was coming out of a, a, a part of the world that, that, that was, uh, uh, that was uh, very prosperous uh, coming out of, of the city of Nazareth. But nonetheless, she understood that her humble state was also a spiritual state. That spiritually she knew she had a need. And she was looking back as the people of faith did at that time, looking for God to bring a Messiah one who would redeem or to rescue. And so she was understanding that this was happening, that, that God saw the humble state and provided the need. In fact, why don't we do it this way? Let's, let's flip over to Luke chapter 4. And uh, we're going to fast forward about 30 years. Okay, because now we're going to go to Jesus when he's about 30 years old, speaking at, uh, at uh, a synagogue in Nazareth. And let's see how he also identifies himself as the Redeemer. Okay, look at it, uh, Luke 4, beginning in verse 16. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he's ready to read. They hand them a scroll from Isaiah. He unrolls it, and he reads from the 61st chapter of Isaiah. A prophecy about the coming Messiah, the one who would come to rescue. Let's hear what he says. He found the place where it was written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Can you just imagine the picture of what that was like to have him read? And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, listen to this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Don't miss what's happening here. He is making a messianic claim right here in his hometown. How did they respond? And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? They were struggling, some of them, to understand how could this this one who was the son of Joseph, the son of the carpenter, how could he be making a statement like this? Well, it's because he came to be the redeemer. And it takes humility to understand that one needs to be redeemed. Until we fully understand that we need what only he can give, that we can't deserve it, that we can't, we can't earn it, that we can't buy our way into it, that we can't do enough good things, that we need simply and solely what he can provide. And that, of course, is what Jesus did. And he said that he was coming to do. Well, as we think about this, we, we, we realize that, that just as Mary was blessed, we too, we too have been blessed. We have been set free. Do you see the, the, uh, the passage we just read said that, that uh, Jesus was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. What is he referring to on that? He's, he's talking about the fact that there are people that are in bondage. There are people that are captive to sin. And that, that in, unless they are freed, unless they are released, unless they are forgiven, they, they don't have hope. But that he came to set us free. And we had the picture from Malachi last week of the, of the calf coming out of the stall. You remember that? And, and going along in the, in the grass, we saw the video of that. That, that that's that, that, that image of being set free from sin. No longer being under the bondage of, of guilt. No longer, no longer being held against that, but instead being free. This is, this is the way it works. And it may be different than how, than how we would assume, uh, in a natural way that one would, would come to God. In fact, most other religions teach that someone has to earn their way. They have to do enough good things. But Christianity comes and says, no, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. And by faith, we receive him and we receive his mercy and his grace. So it's different. I read about a, a bicycle race that was done very differently. Maybe you've heard about it. It was, it was not a race that, 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 uh, that we typically think of when who goes the furthest, the fastest. This was a race to see who could go the shortest distance. Maybe you've heard of it. The way it would work is the gun would go off and every participant in the bicycle race would try to keep the, the bike balanced and they'd have to have a little bit of forward momentum, right? If they put their foot on the ground or if they fell over, obviously they're disqualified. And so between the gun going off once and twice, uh, you have to see how, how, how close to the starting line you can stay. Get the idea on that? I've never seen it done, but maybe, maybe it's something you want to try. Anyway, what if you were the guy that showed up and said, well, I'm ready to be in the bicycle race, but you didn't quite hear all the instructions. And so the gun goes off. And what do you do? You start you start pedaling hard. And you if if, like me, I'd be amazed. I'd look around and say, "I'm, I'm out in the lead. There's no one even close to me. Right. I'm out in the front of the pack. And you just keep going harder and harder because you haven't heard the the second gunshot go off. But when it does, you stop and you turn around. And to your amazement, you have won by a long shot. You think for sure you are the grand champion, right? 
until they explain to you that you didn't understand the rules. And in fact, you didn't win. What happened? You lost, right? Well, sometimes that's how it is. We, we look at religion and think, well, it's about all that we do. It's about all that we achieve, all that we accomplish, all the good things that outweigh our bad things. Well, that's not at all how it works. In the gospel, it's about what Christ has done. And so we have to make sure that we get that perspective of coming. And so I I say all that to say Mary recognized in her humility that she had a need that only the Messiah, who would happen to be her son, could fulfill. What we can learn about that from Mary, humility, understanding the blessing of, of being that humble vessel that God would use for his glory. Do you think God is still looking for humble vessels today? Or do you think he's looking for a person filled with pride? What do you think? Someone that's filled with pride that says, I can just do it on my own. I can do it my way. Don't need to listen to others. Don't need to listen to God. I am capable. Or the one that says, you know, I'm, 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 only, I'm only available. And I'm only available as, as God empowers and as God uses, as God gifts. That's the difference between the pride and the humility. And we see that here in her life. And through this, she recognizes her own redemption. Look at verse 47. She references God as her Savior. She knew she needed to be rescued. She knew she needed to be saved. That's where it all begins. And out of that recognition comes worship. Now, I told you we'd see what, what, uh, how Joseph encountered an angel. Let's just do this very quickly. Matthew chapter 1. And let's look in verse 21. And we see that the angel also approaches him. And uh, in verse 21, actually, let's go to verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will will save his people from their sins. This is the picture of redemption. The picture of being saved, of being rescued. And this is what Mary began with out of her humility. Secondly, she recognized the blessings that she received from God. Look there at the middle of verse 48. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. She understood the gravity of the situation. She knew that the Messiah was coming. The Messiah for her but also the Messiah for the world. And that from generation to generation, people like you and I would look back on that time and say, what an occasion. What a blessing that Mary was one. And Joseph and and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were blessed too to be a part of what was happening. But Mary in a very special way, right? To be the the, the earthly mother of, uh, of the Son of God. Pretty incredible experience to say the least. But as she says these things, she's not speaking proudly. See that word behold? It's a statement of wonder. It was as, as if she was saying, look at this. Me. All the generations are going to be looking back and talking about how I was blessed. Can you believe that? It's me. Young woman from Nazareth. Well, she was a recipient of blessings. Now, unfortunately, many people have misunderstood the role of Mary. Uh, there's a lot of doctrines out there that, that are not biblically accurate. A lot of teachings that have, that have taken place. And, and you can find examples of this in the, the Eastern Orthodox Church. You can find examples of it in Catholicism. 
You can find examples of it as well uh, uh, in some of the Anglican churches. Now, you have to kind of research and, and, and figure it all out. But there are, there are doctrines out there that, that, are, that are not biblical. Things like that Mary was immaculately conceived. That she was free from original sin. That she lived a sinless life and had perpetual virginity. Which really doesn't make sense in the context of Jesus having, having siblings, right? Um, you, you read things about the, the assumption of Mary. Her, her bodily ascension into heaven where she is coronated as the queen. In a position of authority, which would then lead people to pray to her. These are some some misunderstandings. Okay, so I'm not not trying to criticize individuals. I'm just saying that that we have to be careful about the doctrine that we have concerning Mary. But here we see her as one as a worshiper who, as herself, needed redemption and was recognizing the blessings. She said that she would be blessed. Do you know that you and I have something in common with her, and that we too are blessed? We've received so much. In fact, in the end, we will also be referenced within the context of a blessing. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Jesus himself says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Don't you think it's appropriate for us to recognize personal blessings? In fact, if you look at verse 49, she continues by saying, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's not to say that, that his work wouldn't be doing great things for the world, but she was internalizing it. She was personalizing it. And there are people here today who may recognize the blessings of Christ upon their family, or upon their parents or grandparents, but have not yet brought that in to a personal relationship. Note that Mary did. Mary took this very personally, and it it prompted her to be able to worship. I like the way John MacArthur said it. He said, Who are we that we be so highly favored as to be made not the mother of God, but the children of God? Who are we that He should come To die for us. Such overwhelming grace. And undeserved. Isn't that amazing? Amazing that that Christ would give. Just what we needed. And just as Mary was praising God. For her current and future blessing. Don't you know that we can do the same thing? That we can consider how we've been blessed. What we have received. And that it could prompt us. To magnify him as well. Let's quickly look at the third point. We're going to look at verses 49 and 50 because Mary not only understood her redemption, she not only understood her blessings, she had an enlarged knowledge of who God was that day. In fact, there are three divine perfections that Mary speaks of in these verses. As I read them, see if they jump out to you. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Did you catch those? She speaks of his might or of his power. She speaks of his holiness and also of his mercy. And so in that, as she receives that, as her her knowledge of God continues to expand, so does her praise of God. Her response to this knowledge. In fact, as, as, uh, as she was hearing from the angel... In verse 35, the angel said that the power of the Most High 
will overshadow you. And then here, she references the mighty God. This is, this comes from Isaiah 9. One of the messianic titles given to, to the Savior was that he was a mighty God. Now, did Jesus himself demonstrate might? Did he demonstrate power? You bet he did. Who, who else has been able to, to heal diseases? To, to raise people from the grave, him, himself included, right? All the miracles that he did, he showed his power. Luke chapter 18, verse 27 says, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Why is that? Because of his might. Well, he's also holy. And this is also something that Gabriel mentioned to her in verse 35. He said, The Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so what does she do? She declares in verse 49 that holy is his name. And Jesus indeed is holy. And he was holy. He is the only one who has ever lived on this earth completely sinless, completely set apart, completely perfect in his being. And that is why he was able to take the penalty that sinners deserved. Because as he received that penalty of death, it wasn't for himself. If he had been a sinner, it would have been because he deserved it. But since he was not a sinner, he was uniquely positioned as both God and man to be that bridge, to be that one that could bring us back to a right relationship with God. Think about that, his holiness, but also his mercy and understanding that God indeed has forgiven sins. That Jesus as Savior was demonstrating God's mercy to say, I'm going to give you, I'm going to withhold what you deserve, which is punishment. And out of my grace, I'm going to give you blessing. Mary understood these things. And that's why praise poured forth. Again, at verse 46, she said, My soul magnifies, mega exalts the Lord. And may that be something for us as we move through the Christmas season to think, how can we exalt Him? What information do we have about Him that we can turn right back around and offer to Him as a word of praise? You see, there are others who have done that. I think of, of, of people like William Dix who wrote, What Child Is This? in 1865. He said these words, which we sometimes sing, So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come, peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts do what? Enthrone him. Worship him. I know it's busy. I know it's crazy. I know we've got, we've got cards we got to get out, right? We've got presents we got to buy. We've got parties we got to go to. But in the midst of all of the busyness, let's pause. Let our minds and our hearts just be reminded of His goodness and of His glory. And let us return those thoughts back to Him in praise. Just as Charles Wesley, in one of the 6,000 hymns that he would pen, one that you probably, if you've not heard it yet, or sung it, you will. Hark the herald angels sing. Listen to that last verse. It uses the word hail, which means to worship. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Talking about the incarnation. Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing glory, glory 
to the newborn king. Would you bow with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, that is our desire. To give you glory and honor. To worship you today and throughout this Christmas season because you are worthy. Fill our hearts and our minds today with a greater understanding of what you accomplished. Fill our minds today with the blessings that we have received. And may we walk through this time as worshipers of you. Thanking you for what we see in these first stories. Thanking you for the faithfulness of people like Mary and Joseph. And God, may we too be found faithful. May we be found humble. May we be ready to receive and to worship as you work in us and through us. God, we thank you for our church family. We thank you that we've been able to to gather today. We pray that as we continue to worship, that you will be the one at the forefront of our thoughts. Even as we receive this offering now, we pray your blessing on it. May you use it for your purpose and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.